As I begin today, all cards are going to go on the table. Because I approach this subject with extra respect. Because we're going to hit a passage today that needs to be carefully studied and understood in the context in which Jesus taught it. It's an issue that affects a lot of people. So many in our world today, even pastors, are not immune. It's the issue of divorce. Now, I would bet that in a room this size, like many in our culture, divorce will probably touch 90 95% of you in this room, either directly or indirectly. The prevalence of divorce in our society and throughout history has made it necessary for the church to address this issue rather than to ignore the elephant that's in the sanctuary, so to speak. Uh, On one extreme, you have Christians who wish to just dismiss it, to close their eyes, not deal with the issue. And on the other end of the scale, the, the extreme that we see people sitting in condemnation over those people who have been wounded by broken intimacy. Because this is a, an issue that I deal with personally, God's Spirit led me to tap into the wisdom of other godly leaders who have made extensive study on the full counsel in Scripture from God regarding this issue. There are a lot of schools of thought out there, many different teachings that you can get from different churches, many different interpretations. But for the next two Sundays, I have borrowed heavily from the scholarship of a man named Dr. Tony Evans. I respect Dr. Evans very much. He has written a lot of wonderful things about marriage. He champions marriage, godly marriage. We use some of his curriculum even in our marriage class here at Powell Butte. He's written so many things about the strength and the health of marriages. So he's a guy that I trust regarding what Scripture says about marriages. And so his words have helped me make sense of then this issue of divorce. And so just, again, full, full disclosure, the things that you hear me say today are actually a summary of his scholarship from the Bible in a book that he has compiled and written called Divorce and Remarriage by Dr. Tony Evans, if you want to check that book. I'm not preaching through that book, but I am summarizing that book because it summarizes the, the whole of Scripture so well. Now, now, what have we traditionally heard in the church about divorce? Well, it's right there in Malachi 2.16. It says God hates divorce. That seems to be the go-to whenever this subject comes up. Because of this passage and because of others like it, there are churches out there who will not let divorced people serve in leadership. Deacons or deaconesses, pastors, elders... Some churches won't even let divorced people lead ministries within the church. Some people have actually been disfellowshipped from their congregations because they went ahead and divorced. Those three words, God hates divorce, plus the two verses that we're going to be looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, they have really complicated matters greatly used by people who are ignorant to do some great damage to some other people. What's too overlooked, though, too often overlooked, is in that very same verse in Malachi. I don't have a slide for this, so don't go to the next slide yet. But after the Lord God of Israel says, I hate divorce, he also says that he hates a man who clothes himself with violence. 
You don't tend to hear that one as much as you hear that God hates divorce. So really, even in looking at that one verse, we don't get God's entire message, do we? And the same thing is true when we look at Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Yes, Jesus does address divorce and remarriage. But please understand this, that the biblical view of this issue includes so much more than just two verses in Matthew chapter 5 and three words in Malachi chapter 2. It's going to be a two-week series. There's so much about this because I want to study carefully. But I also want to be careful that we do not approach God's word with the intent of justifying anything. Okay? Or, or giving us an easy exit uh, for something that we find unhappy. According to God, marriage is a divine covenant that he has provided for a man and a woman. Therefore, there are specific elements that make up that covenant that he commands. And as such, he's not willing to compromise his stance for our convenience. Okay, So please understand that. God hates Divorce. Of course he hates divorce. You know why? There's a lot of hurt in divorce. People get hurt when there's divorce. Spouses are hurt. Kids are hurt. Society is hurt when there's divorce. There are also bad patterns that are established. If mom and dad look at marriage as being disposable as soon as problems uh, uh, rise up, they can toss it out. And what do their kiddos learn? They learn that, well, if there's problems, they could just toss it out again. And generational sin can occur because of divorce. Cynicism can, can take its root in our hearts when we can't trust our very closest relationship. Mistrust begins to, to build up in the breakdown of relationships that were supposed to last forever. For those reasons and for more spiritual ones, God hates divorce. And folks, we should hate divorce as well. So we, I want to begin today with looking at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. And again, this is the word of the Lord. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. All right. Before we begin, some transparency. According to how some will interpret Jesus' words here, I, your lead pastor, am an adulterer. How so? Well, after my first wife, Peg, passed away in 2014, I reconnected with an old friend from college named Jenny, who lived in the area, and she was a divorced single mom. Uh, our reconnection led to dating. Our dating led to a proposal, and that proposal led in 2016 to our marriage. We are getting ready on March 19th to celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary this year. Yay. Yes. Congratulations to me. Condolences to Jenny. Well, listen, Jenny and I are both committed to our relationship with God. We are both committed to walk in obedience to his word. We are both involved in ministry, vocationally ministry, here at the church. We love each other. We love Jesus with all our hearts. And yet, yet, according to this passage, because I, 
married a divorced woman, it seems like we have committed uh, adultery. Now, I don't say this as a way of sensationalizing anything, but I, I want us to be cautious. I want us to be cautious as we approach this because it's so easy to rush into judgment over somebody else in these situations. My, my, uh, my first mother-in-law, Peg's mom, a, a lady named Mary Beth, was one of my heroes. She's uh, long passed away, but when she was, um, when she was married, uh, she had four girls, and after Peg was born, the, the, the youngest of the four, uh, her husband, Jay, decided he didn't want to be married anymore, and he divorced her. Well, she did all she could to actually raise those girls by herself. She moved to a, a new town so that her mother could watch the girls, and she went to work and, and uh, uh, raised these four girls uh, on, on her own income. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, she wanted to include in those girls' upbringing a, a religious upbringing because she had been raised to be religious. And so she took them uh, to the church down the street from where they lived. And when that church, this is in the early 70s, when that church found out that she had been divorced, they shunned her. They said, you're not welcome here. You're a divorced lady. That put such a bitterness into my, my mother-in-law's mouth that she left the church altogether. Would not even step foot into a church except for the, the, the times that my girls were dedicated at church. Now, she and I would talk uh, late into the night about Jesus. She had not lost her faith in Jesus. She had just lost her faith in the church who would push somebody away who was hurting it was like the scarlet letter from Nathaniel Hawthorne. The, the scarlet A for adultery became, in the 70s, the scarlet D for divorce. It was like the unforgivable sin. Now, what's my point in telling Maribeth's story? I want you to understand that when we look at this issue, we're going to see both God's holiness, His holiness, His standard, His righteousness, but we're also going to see His mercy. Only God knows the heart of the matter. And we're going to see that he deals with it both in truth and in love. You, you might recall Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. As he was talking to this lady, he told her, why don't you go back into town and bring your husband here so I can talk with him? And she said, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you spoke correctly because you've actually had five husbands and the guy that you're shacking up with now isn't even your husband see jesus knew her history he knew her history he knew each one of those five marriages he knew each one of those five divorces which by the way none of them were probably initiated by her in that culture and yet instead of kicking her out throwing her to, to, to the road he dealt with her in love. He spoke to her in truth, but in love, accepting her the way that she was. Church, when it comes to our connection with other people in the church who are divorced, you will never, ever know their whole story. So even in bringing accountability into the lives of other people, which is a very good thing, we must be careful that we do not condemn we should have discernment. Yes. We should have correction. Yes. We should have accountability. Yes. But condemnation, folks, that's way above our pay grades. Why? Because God, and only God, is the judge. 
In fact, in the book of Malachi, before we get those three words, I hate divorce, God actually reveals his attitude towards marriage. Three verses back, starting in verse 13 of Malachi 2. This is what God says. This is another thing that you do. It's like he's got this checklist against his people. He's talking to his own people here. This is another thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. This is almost like Cain and Abel. Like Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice to God and God accepted Abel's because it came from his heart and he did not accept Cain's and Cain got a pouty face. This is what's going on here in Malachi. These people are saying, God, why why aren't you accepting our offerings? Why aren't we uh, good with you anymore? He goes on and says, the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You see, yes, God hates divorce, but guess what? He also apparently hates messed up marriages as well. These guys were dealing treacherously with their wives. And so God says, because your horizontal is out of whack, these relationships that you're supposed to be showing love and not dealing treacherously with one another, because that's out of whack, I'm not accepting your offering because your, your relationship with me is out of whack now as well. Why? That last word, covenant. You see that word? Therein lies the definition of marriage and also the reason why God hates divorce so much. It's because God has given us a covenant. A covenant designed by him for his purposes. You see, you thought your marriage was for you. You thought your marriage was for your purposes. I've got some biblical truth for you today. A covenant is not like a contract. You you might have thought that you were entering into a marriage contract with your spouse, but no, you actually, God gave us a covenant. And covenants have to do with his purposes in the lives of those who enter into that covenant. All the covenants found in scripture of which marriage is one of those, it's about relationship. And yet, like unlike other uh, covenants found in, the, in Scripture, marriage is actually a, a, an illustration that God chooses to use. God uses the marriage as an illustration of his relationship with us, his people. And so, it's his covenant that you get to participate in. It's not your covenant. It's God's covenant. And as such, he gets to make the rules. Not the state. Not the government. Not society. That's like me and Jenny being invited over to your house to go play games. And as you bring out the game that you want to play, I tell you that you're playing it wrong. You're going, really? It's my game. It's my game. My, My rules. True story. Back in Napa, California, I tried my hand at uh, worship ministry. And that summer, we actually brought in several guest worship leaders. And one of them was a guy named Reggie Coates from Northern California. And and Reggie had sent us a bunch of songs that he wanted us to do that Sunday. Couldn't be there Thursday night practice. So I, I ran the practice on Thursday night. And then he came early in the morning and we would go through everything just so we would all be on the same page. And as he did that, we started a a particular song. And I said, whoa, 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 Reggie, um, that's that's not how that goes. He said, oh, really? That's the way I wrote it. 
I looked down at my music, and there, sure enough, written by Reggie Coates. I tried to tell him that he was doing it wrong. He says, oh, well, no, that's the way I wrote it. How often do we try to tell God that he is wrong about his standards for marriage? And we say to him, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. And God goes, really? That's not the way I wrote it. I wrote it like this. It's God's covenant. He gets to make the rules. When we tell God that he's wrong, how arrogant is that? See, marriage is from God. And because it's from God, by the way, it's a spiritually legal arrangement. That's why in Scripture, if you wanted out of a relationship, if you had a legitimate reason for divorce, you had to get what was called a certificate of divorce. A man couldn't just throw out his wife and say, I divorce you. The whole act had to be legally recognized. And back in the Old Testament, what was the law? Was it a, was it a governmental uh, a place of, of government where you have a president and, and Congress? No. What was the law back in the Old Testament? Not, not a real hard question to answer. Not a trick question. What was the law? It was God's law, wasn't it? It was the Old Testament. It was what God had said for his people. So God had established leadership. And so, therefore, if you wanted to find a legitimate way to get out of the spiritual legal arrangement, you had to go to the people who could give you a spiritual legal way to break it off. You couldn't just go down to the courthouse. Why? Even Jesus said this in Matthew 19, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So if you have entered into this relationship that was established by God, guess what? It can only then be ended by God. That, that, that's, why, that's why when you end a marriage illegitimately, spiritually speaking, that's when marriage or remarriage becomes adultery because God still sees the first marriage as being a valid bond as it was intended to be. See, marriage in God's eyes is a spiritual thing. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. See, he wanted to avoid what was going on in Malachi, where their prayers were hindered, their worship was hindered, their vertical relationship with God was hindered because they were not living right with their wives. So marriage is spiritual. And so the only way, biblically speaking, to be released from that covenant is through spiritual Legitimacy, which sounds weird coming from a pulpit. Because you wonder, is there such thing as a spiritually legitimate end to a marriage? Well, for that answer, we're going to look at another teaching of Jesus in the same gospel. So let's go to Matthew chapter 19. What's going on here in Matthew chapter 19? We've got a group of religious leaders, guys who are very adept at the law that God has given to us, trying to set Jesus up by asking him a question about divorce. You see, back then, in the Jewish culture, divorce was a huge deal. There were two schools of thought at this time in the Jewish religion, coming from two leading rabbis of the day, one guy named Hillel and one guy named Shammai. Hillel was the liberal, Shammai was the conservative. Okay, Hillel, the more liberal of the two, taught that a man should be able to divorce his wife for any reason at all. 
He was actually quoted as saying that having a bad wife is similar to having leprosy. So you better get rid of her if you know what's good for you. Now, side note, note how the women, their will was not even brought into, into weight on this matter back then. Unfortunately, folks, unfortunately because of sin and what it did to our relationship, the relationship that God had made to be perfect partnership, because of that, throughout history, women have taken a back seat by way of value and human rights, and that is not good. It wasn't until Jesus came to legitimize women, to bring them back into full equality with men, to say, yes, God created mankind in his image, male and female. So if you have this weird idea that Christianity or the church somehow puts women down as second-class citizens, nothing could be further from the truth. It was Christianity that actually brought them back up to what God had said in the very first place, by the way. So it was horrible that the women didn't even get a say in this. The woman at the well, five marriages, five divorces, she probably did not instigate any one of those. She was more a victim than anything else. So that, that was Hillel. For any reason at all, you can divorce your wife, not a problem. The other guy, the conservative, Shammai, argued that divorce was permitted only under very clear evidence of adultery. So in the passage that Pastor Andy read to us today, that you saw what would happen if there was clear evidence being caught in the act of adultery, that that had serious consequences And so here are two opposite sides of the spectrum, and the teachers of the Mosaic Law are coming to Jesus to to trap him. They want him to choose sides, knowing that whatever side he chooses, he's going to make other people mad. So there in verse 3 of Matthew 19, it says, Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In other words, which rabbi is correct, Jesus? Wisely, Jesus does not answer the question about divorce. Watch this. He actually answers them about marriage. They ask about divorce. He doesn't answer about divorce. He answers about marriage. He says, haven't you read? Haven't you? I mean, and I love this because these guys have supposed to have read and studied and know this. But he calls them onto the carpet and goes, haven't you read? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one which leads me to believe that before we can talk about divorce ultimately we've got to understand what god intended marriage to be so according to what jesus just said there what does he say about marriage number one he says that it's god's design number one marriage it's not a human thing It wasn't our invention. It was God's design. Number two, it binds two people into one in a very spiritual sense. And number three, it was made to last a lifetime. But these guys don't get it, and so they respond to him, well, then, if that's true, Jesus, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. Now, I want you to see the difference between the question and the answer. These guys were convinced that Moses had commanded 
divorce to happen. Jesus said, no, no. Permitted, yes. Commanded, no. Except in one case that we're going to look at next week in in the book of Ezra. God does not command divorce. And yet he permits it. Secondly, do you see that Jesus contrasts what they're teaching in the modern era to what God had intended from the beginning? I love that. I love that phrase. But from the beginning. See, he goes all the way back to what God had intended this to be. Therefore, any time that we have a skewed view of marriage, it comes from also hardness of heart. Now that, that should make us approach this very soberly, folks. It comes from sin. So anytime God permits divorce, what this means is somewhere along the lines there has been hardness of heart. Somewhere along the lines there is sin that has not been dealt with. That's what leads to the permission of divorce. So when does God permit divorce? Are there situations because of hardness of heart, because of sin, that that the marriage relationship has been damaged? And God allows then people to be released from this covenant, which has been broken by a blatant disregard for his design and his authority? Now, if you're asking that question, when does God permit divorce? You have to check your heart. Because that's kind of like the question that was once asked of me, Trey, when I tithe, should it be on gross or should it be on net? My answer was, just asking that question tells me that your heart isn't where God wants it to be when it comes to giving. You're trying to find the line, right? So if you're asking, well, Trey, what's permitted? What's permitted? How can I, what's my easy way out? What's my way out of this? If, that, if you're looking for a loophole, check your heart. Because you must know this. We have a God who can and who does heal marriages. We have a God who can and who has healed marriages that were on the brink of divorce. He has and he can uh, perform miracles in people's lives where they thought that divorce was the only way out. We have a God who can do that. So don't give up. Don't look for the loophole and say, Trey, give it to me. What can, I, what can I use from the Bible to get out of my marriage? That's not where we want to go. As we look at the, the line that Jesus draws, it's, it's like this cartoon that I found. When you try to find that line and you try to go right up to that line, guess what? Sometimes you'll fall over that line and you'll fall over that line prematurely because perhaps God wanted to do something in your marriage, but you just didn't give him enough time. You didn't give him enough permission to work and to to, to do the surgery that he wants to do in your life. And so you say, oh, yeah, but, but Trey, Trey, you said that I could do if I just did this, if they did this, and I can get out of this. Yes, there are grounds for permission, but you got to make sure that you give God a chance first. Never, marriage should never, ever, ever, ever be seen as something disposable as soon as it doesn't go the way that God said it should go. We cannot live our marriages at that line. Now, see, there are times when both husband and wife will come with repentance, with a desire to make things right, 
There's brokenness. There's, there's a contrite heart. There's a submission to the right principles found in the marriage covenant. And when that happens, folks, we celebrate because miracles happen. This is what I mean, uh, what I meant last week by saying that the church should be in the business of strengthening marriages. And I'm so glad that for several years now we have had, we've offered a Sunday school class that talks about marriage and helps marriages. Divorce should never, ever, ever, ever be the first course of action. But that said, as we've looked at other two-way relationships, realize that unfortunately there are times when one party or sometimes even both are just too far out of line with God's will. Hardness of heart. Sin. Too stubborn to submit to God's authority. In those cases, we must understand that God does care for both individuals in that covenant. He cares about their spiritual health Because though he is the God of the ideal and sets up his word as the ideal, the standard by which we should strive, God is the God of the ideal, but he's also God of the real. Realizing that that doesn't always happen the way that it's supposed to happen. If you are struggling with this because you have been divorced, or if you're struggling because you are on the brink of divorce, let me tell you, God's not done with you. God's not done with you. He's not done with your marriage. He's not done with a divorcee. He's not done with rocky marriages. God can redeem even the ugliest of situations. And when the covenant of marriage unfortunately cannot be saved, at that point God then does give permission in certain circumstances to be released. What is that? Well, we've run out of time today. Some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, thank goodness he doesn't go there. Some of you are going, no, you can't stop now. Come back next week. Okay, so when I was a counselor at junior camp, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, we would have campfire every night. And a man, a a, a pastor uh, from the Bay Area, a guy named Dennis Logie, would tell us stories. Every year, he'd have a different story, and he'd tell a part of that story each night at campfire. And just when he got to the greatest part, the best part, he'd say, And we'll find out tomorrow what's going to happen. And even the counselors are going, oh, come on. You know that we were there at the campfire the very next day, right? So be at the campfire next week so that you can hear what's going on. We're going to look at the circumstances in the Bible where divorce was permitted. Permitted, not commanded. Permitted. Then I also want to see how we can approach life after the divorce when it comes to the covenant of marriage. And then that's going to lead us right up to Valentine's Day, February 14th, which then for the next three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about marriages. Because why just harp on the bad? We should really start to talk about the good. Amen? But folks, it's time for the church to make a stand, to stand up and to say to our world, there is a way to do this correctly. Our image of God is being distorted because the illustration of marriage that he gave to us is being distorted. It's time for disciples of Jesus to reflect God's heart and his love and his commitment to his people as we live, to truly seek to live out the covenant of marriage in the most godly of ways. The families in our community and in our country, they will be strengthened 
When we see what it means for a husband and a wife to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our kids are going to be able to see what true devotion is like and what selfless love is played out when we can live out the great commandment of, uh, of loving God and loving people first at home with our spouse. And like I said last week, it's going to be not just a benefit for those of you who are married, but whether you're married or divorced or remarried or widowed or single, why? Because the strength of marriages will mean the strength of the ministries of the church. So we must come to understand God's ways to experience God's best. Uh, Gabe, why don't you bring the uh, worship team? Come on up. One last thing. As a word of caution, as we step through this landmine, there was a study done about a decade or so ago, a study that lasted more than five years, survey of couples on the brink of divorce. They, they, uh, they asked the, the, the people about their happiness and were they happy in their life? Were they happy in their marriage? They, they wrote down the answers. Five years later, they revisited these couples. Some of them had divorced. Some of them had done the work and had stayed together and they had stayed married. What the researchers found was very interesting. Those who did the hard work and stayed together actually rated their lives happier than they had five years previous. They weren't happy. That's the, the reason for a divorce, they thought. But they worked on it, and five years later, they now rated their lives and their marriage as happy. Oddly enough, or maybe not, those who had said that they were unhappy and they actually divorced, the majority of them, guess what? They said that they were still unhappy after five years. What they thought was the problem wasn't the problem, was it? So as we look next week about the biblical grounds for divorce, please remember this is not a push towards justifying the breakup of your marriage. This church, this church will always champion godly marriages. And yet we also must continue to minister to those who are broken because of what divorce has done to them. Why don't you stand with me? Um, One last thing that I want to say before I pray for you. You you know, I love you, and I know that I'm talking to people who are right there. As you leave today, whether it's right now or whether it's after the, uh, the, the annual meeting, if there is conviction in your heart from the Holy Spirit, praise God. That means God is encouraging you to change and to make some things different in your life so that you can be more like Jesus, like the, the song that we started this service with. Less like me, more like Jesus. But if you're leaving this room in shame, you're giving the devil a foothold. That's not what this is about. I don't bring this to us because I'm disappointed in anybody or that God is up there getting ready to smash you because your marriage isn't working or didn't work. Shame is not of God. Conviction is. Conviction is. And conviction is wonderful because it encourages us to do better. Shame will always push you down further. Do not leave this place in shame. Please. If you need to talk to somebody, we've got elders here that would, they would be grateful to not go to the meeting today. So they can pray with you and talk with you about this. I'm serious, guys. This is not to bring you shame at all. 
And if you've been carrying that guilt, it's time to lay that down at the feet of Jesus and to find the life that he wants for you to have. Let me pray with you, and then we will sing one last song, and then we will be dismissed. Father God, thank you for your love. God, we are all broken. We all hurt in some way. We've all fallen short of your glory in some ways. And Lord, we have been made to feel guilty, even by your own people sometimes. Forgive us as if we've ever put that on somebody else. Lord, we want to help people and keep them accountable and and be their support. But God, let us keep us away from sitting in condemnation. Lord, I would pray for those right now who their marriages are in trouble. Lord, I am grateful that they are here listening to your word. They, They know where to find the answers. And I would pray that your spirit would fill them up with hope. That if they come to you with contrite hearts, Lord, that you can do miracles in their life, in their marriage. And I would pray for celebrations throughout this whole year as marriages that were, were once there at the brink of divorce have been made new because of your spirit. Lord, for those who have already been there, who are still licking the wounds, I would pray that your spirit would bring comfort to them. Lord, speak value to them. They are still your kids. You still love them. There's still a place for them in ministry. And I would pray that you would just bind the devil from their thinking as they deal with that shame. Lord, let them lay that at your feet. Thank you so much for your spirit who does bring us conviction to help us change and want to change. And God, I would pray that we would find some amazing breakthroughs that happen both in marriages and in post-marriages in this congregation this year. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your holiness that you've called us into. May we continue to walk the way that you want us to walk. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen.